Well, good morning, New Life Church. My name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I am thrilled to be opening up a passage for us in Hebrews this morning. So open your Bibles, put them on your laps. Hebrews will be towards the end of the entire book, and we will be in chapter 4. If you need something, where do you go? If you need information, say, you want to go to the best, the best source, right? Or perhaps the question should be, where would be the best place to go? Where should you go? You want to go to the best source. You want to go to the book that knows the answer or has the information. Or the practitioner who knows the method or has practiced enough to give you help. If you need a tool or an item, you want the best one, right? The one designed for the purpose with the proper material so it doesn't break when it is used. You don't want a hammerhead to fly off after two swings, right? You don't want the spatula to break while you're making the eggs. Nothing frustrates me more than improperly designed tools. If you need help or expertise, you want to go to the best source, to the best person. If you're having a plumbing issue at home, I know none of you Google mediocre plumbers. You want a great plumber, right? When I need surgery, I'm not looking for a subpar surgeon. Mr. C's gets degrees, orthopedic surgeon. No, you want the best doctor, the best craftsmen, the best information. Now in life, maybe because of resources or access, you can't always do that. Maybe I can't afford the best, but I want the best, right? Don't you want access to the best, the most competent, the able, the powerful, the knowledgeable? Today, I want to try to dismantle any of your reasons for not engaging the best source for every human need. When I need to talk to someone, who should I talk to? When I have a need, who should be my first call? And I want you to know in your head to confidently approach Jesus in prayer, because he is familiar with weakness and is our access to grace and mercy. I want that to be your default. When you think, I have a need, who should I talk to? And I want your first response to be to confidently approach Jesus in prayer, because he is familiar with weakness and is, access to, and is our access to grace and mercy. Let's read From chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 14, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Since we have a great high priest, what on earth is a high priest? And why do we need one? That should be your question. Have you ever pondered God and thought, He is too big? 
how am I supposed to talk to a God that big? Maybe you sat by the ocean recently, the Pacific Ocean, and you saw the waves coming in and you looked out on the horizon and your vision failed before the horizon failed. Or maybe you sat next to the Grand Canyon and you looked out at the vast expanse. Or maybe you went to the mountains and you sat at a vantage point and you could see trees and mountains for miles and miles and miles. And you realized how small you are. And then your mind pondered the fact that God made everything you see. Even the things that make you feel small the things that make you feel inadequate, and perhaps that made you feel incapable of talking to a God big enough to create the wonders of the cosmos out of nothing. That's not an unreasonable feeling. And the tension between your feeling of smallness and God's bigness is a reason we need a priest. A priest stands between A priest can talk to God, and a priest can talk to you. A priest is a great help because we don't know how to talk. The reality of God and His nature is that God is full of help for prayer, for you talking to God. Last week we were reminded, if we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit, God, talks to God for us, groans for us. This week, we have an advocate that stands in our place, Jesus, a priest. God is doing so much work so that you can talk to him. That alone should dismantle an objection you have. Maybe in your mind, you say, God doesn't want to talk to me. Yes, he does. So much so that two members of the Trinity are involved in making sure that you, that we have access when we pray the Spirit as empowerer, and Jesus as priest. God is doing a lot of work so that you can pray, so that you can talk to Him. And part of that work is to give you a great high priest. If you were reading through your Bible this year, many of you maybe started a Bible reading plan to read the Bible through a year. I'm not saying you have to read it in a year. Reading it is wonderful. And if you read it in two years or three years or four years, you're all winning. It's just good. But if you were to read it in a year, in about the end of January or February, you would begin to read about the priests in this book. You would begin to read about the priests and you would hear and read about how the priests would go to the special places of the temple where God is worshipped and how they would give sacrifices to atone, to bring covering for the people. The priests are there to facilitate relationship with God and the people. They give offerings and sacrifices. The priests pray for the people. The priests deal with the sins of the people. The people needed a priest because God is big. We people need a priest because God is holy, sinless, and we are not. The people need a priest to help them relate to God. How would your prayers look if you did not have a priest? Would you try to screw up your courage and say something grand to the maker of the cosmos? Would you put all the weight on your performance and success? 
The priests of old gave a lot of sacrifices because that didn't work. Who are you depending on without a priest? Is it you? Is it your relationship to a good family, a good job, a good intent? What do you do without a priest? What is your plan to connect with God without a priest? I think if you allow yourself to think about that, you will probably despair from praying at all. If you were to sit and live with that assumption, we need a priest because we realize the grandness of God. And if we realize the grandness of God without a priest, we would just sit there stumbling over ourselves. And if you were like me, you would think, I can't even think of the right thing to say to talk to a God so majestic so I will just say nothing. Or perhaps you will say, I am too sinful to talk to a God so holy. Or I am too flawed to talk to a God so good. And then we give up. Have you ever done that? I know you've done that. I've done that. I don't know how to pray well enough to talk to God, so I'm done. That is why we need a priest. And as described in the Old Testament, they had a priest, but sometimes it was a mixed bag. Sometimes the high priest was a good and helpful high priest, and they were grateful. And sometimes the high priest was not helpful and not good. But Hebrews, at the end of this book, Hebrews describes here something astounding. God knows we need a priest. So God provides himself as the priest. Jesus is our priest. And because of that, we have a great high priest. The magnitude of our priest is striking. We don't have a poor high priest or a merely sufficient high priest. We don't have a C's get degrees high priest. We have a great high priest. And where did this high priest come from? The writer says, our high priest passed through the heavens. In the Bible, in this book, there is often talk of two realms. We talk of the heavens and we talk of the earth. Simply put, the heavens is the place where God is. That's what you should think about when you read heavens. Sometimes it refers to the sky where the birds fly, but often it's the place where God is. Don't think flying angels with harps. Where is God? God is in the heavens. And the place where we are, people, humans, is the earth. And Hebrews says, Jesus, the great high priest, passed through the heavens. The end destination is for him to be seated next to God in heaven, the place where God is. But where does that mean the starting place is? The earth. Jesus passed through the heavens because he started on the earth. He started with us. This is the significance of Christmas. This is why we celebrate Advent. Jesus, God, humbled himself to come be with us on the ground. He became a man to the point of being a vulnerable baby, that baby in a stable. And one of the reasons he did that is so that he could be here and then pass through the heavens to be our high priest. 
Talking to and hearing man, talking to and hearing God. Is there anyone else that can do that? No. There is only one God-man. And our priest was so committed to that role for us that he set aside, he set aside the privileges of Godness and became the baby in the stable that we sing about during Christmas. He became the baby of the refugee family that had to flee to Egypt because they were under the reign of a tyrannical government. He didn't give it to himself easy. He was with us. He was on the ground with us. He is one of us, and he passed through the heavens and sits as a high priest for us in the flesh, ever the God-man. And reality, the reality in heaven is so good that the only option you have is to cling to it. Hold fast your confession. That's what the writer says. Your confession, what you have to say about Jesus, this will get you through. This is what will have you praying. Well, perhaps in your mind, you're throwing more excuses. You're saying, I cannot pray because God, Jesus, doesn't understand me. He doesn't get us. He may be a priest, but he has not lived my life. He doesn't know the stuff I deal with. He doesn't understand the pain I have experienced. He hasn't felt the situations I have felt. How can I talk to a priest that doesn't understand? And the writer says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Our high priest is not one who is clueless. He is not aloof. He is not sitting in heaven, scrunching his face, trying to understand what it is you're talking about. As you describe your pain or your mind or you are just saying, help me. He does not sit in heaven and say, I I don't even know. Jesus, the high priest, is able to sympathize. That, that word means to feel together with. And he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is able to feel together with our weaknesses, with your weaknesses, with my weaknesses, because he has been on the ground. He has walked where we have walked. He has felt what we have felt. He has dealt with and endured the things we have endured. And his presence on earth was not with a wink and a nod while wearing a human suit. He was not Superman pretending to be Clark Kent so you would really think he was a human. He was not pretending to be human. His experience being human in a broken world was full. He didn't leave the training wheels on. He didn't give himself the light version so it was more bearable. He felt it all. He dealt with it all. And because of that, he can sympathize, feel together with. Jesus is experientially knowledgeable of weakness. Last week, we talked about all creation groaning. 
The very fabric of creation groans because it knows it's broken and it longs for redemption. Things break down and decay. Things are broken. And creation itself is longing for the restoration of all things. Included in the groaning of creation is the groaning of our bodies. Can I get an amen for that? The weakness made manifest when we get out of bed and our knees creak and our hands are sore and our backs, that's always our backs, right? All of this general groaning is evidence that creation is not as it should be and it is subjected to weakness. And Jesus felt that. The injuries endured because we engage this world, because we work in this world, because we endeavor to use our bodies to make things of creation. And when our bodies come up against the world, they are often outmatched, right? Who has those random tweaks and bruises because your body is weak compared to the unyielding creation? I have a tweak in my shoulder I'm pretty sure occurred when I was trying to drill over my head when I used to work in spec homes. My body broke instead of the house. I broke. Some of you have catches in your knee because of that yard work incident or that dangerous endeavor with the Ikea furniture. Jesus knows these weaknesses. He was a construction guy in a world where stone was a major building component. His weak body was put up against the rocks, literally. Jesus experienced the groaning of creation just like you and I do. Jesus is able to sympathize, to feel together with. Jesus dealt with tiredness, with exhaustion, with general finitude the frustrating experience of not being able to accomplish all you want to accomplish in a set amount of time because you don't have the energy and don't have the endurance. So much of my experience with weakness, it seems, in this season of life, is my family or I getting sick. It feels like it's constant. How often does that animate my prayers? I have four little kids at home, so if something happens, we're all doomed. We all just get sick. And how often does that animate my prayers? Lord, please keep my kids healthy. Keep their lungs clear. Keep their fevers down. Give them relief. Protect us. When I pray that prayer, I don't pray to a priest who does not understand what I'm talking about. He lived in this world with the viruses and the bacteria and the colds, and the ailments making their seasonal arrivals. Jesus doesn't know just by observation, but by experience. He gets it. He lived in this world with a body susceptible to each of these things. He lived in a house that would share sickness all the way around because they didn't have a very big house. Small quarters. And he was in a day before ibuprofen which is magic, by the way. Or frankly, regular availability of ice. We put ice on our heads when there's a He could even do that. He knows weakness. So often the experience of this broken world is also the experience of broken relationships. 
You all know this. It could be family. It could be your siblings. It could be friends. It could be those relationships at work. Our God is not a stoic God unaffected by emotion. Jesus was not a stoic human being unaffected by relationship, unaffected by emotion. We see in scriptures him mourn the loss of friends to death and be heartbroken by sickness and difficulty. We see him sad, we see him angry, we see him frustrated in situations, in relationships. His was not a muted interaction with people. It was full, it was complete, it was with emotion and passion. Jesus lived a full life here and he had all those relationships and all were impacted by brokenness. I know he felt the burdens of a relationship and the difficulty of someone not wanting to listen to you, not wanting to speak to you. I know he was maligned or ignored. I know everything wasn't peachy for Jesus at the job site. And think about the, re- the religious relationships, the strife associated with the religious leaders, those who had authority, or his being under the thumb of tyrannical government in many forms and in many layers. He literally started the beginning of his life in a country that was not his own because the government wanted to kill him. He was living as a refugee. Talk about Jesus understanding by experience. Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. He feels it together with us. Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses in body and the groaning of creation. He experienced the where, he experienced the what. And Hebrews even presses in and says, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. One of the most common experiences for us is that we are tempted to sin every day, every hour, every minute, to live life in a way that is misaligned with how life ought to be lived. Of the things that are most regular about life, it is this temptation that is constant. The temptation to live differently than God intended because it will bring a spot of relief, because it will bring a moment of pleasure, because it will make relationship a little easier or the job a little simpler. The temptation to sin is constant, is it not? And Hebrews tells us there is no temptation from which Jesus was exempt. He came up against everything you come up against. He was tempted to mitigate his weakness by using his hands improperly, by cutting corners or taking a shortcut that is theft. He was tempted to medicate his weakness by pointing his eyes where they should not go or masking difficulty with food or drink. The temptation to do something to medicate the pain of the groaning creation because the groaning doesn't stop. He could have avoided the confrontation in relationship or the hard conversation. He knows the temptation of the little lie to ease a relationship. He could have done all the things you do for yourself to mitigate your weakness, but he didn't. And he felt the weakness far more than we do. 
Every sin you find yourself confessing, Jesus was tempted to walk, to go that direction. The difference with Jesus and us is not our experience of temptation, but our response to it. And this does not make him unable to sympathize. He can sympathize. He can feel together with no matter how intense the temptation is that you experience because he never relented. Who gives in to temptation? You all should raise your hands, but I won't make you do it. Who has given in? We all have. Who has ever noticed the increase of temptation, the intensity growing if you resist? If you say, no, I'm not going there, it gets harder, not easier, right? If you give in immediately, the temptation is small and subsides because you give in. It's simple. But if you resist, the intensity grows. The perceived relief that would come from that lie or that misstep seems to grow. The contrast to your current situation increases in boldness. It would be so easy. And some of you have walked through a full temptation and can remember the steps, the difficulty increasing until it is over. Finally, Jesus was tempted in every way and experienced the full weight every time because he never relented. So please expel the lie that Jesus doesn't understand you. He does. He has sat where you sit. He has felt what you feel. And when he listens to you, he does not fake his care. He does not fake his compassion. When he hears of your temptation, he doesn't now pretend his sympathy. When he hears your tears, when he hears your anguish because you have lost a loved one to death, he doesn't have to pretend to know what that feels like. He has cried the tears and his listening is a knowing listening. He sympathizes with your weakness. He does not pretend to know the experience of feeling the burdens of a groaning creation. He remembers. And maybe as he listens to your prayers, his hand goes to his own knee or his own side in remembering the pain. He is not unable to sympathize. He is not unable to understand. We have a great high priest. So what do we do? 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This little passage encourages two response, two actions from verse 14, let us hold fast our confession. And now in 16, let us draw near with confidence. I find it fascinating, the posture of these requests. These are not imperatives. That's usually what we hear. Do this, don't do this. The commands that shake their fingers and even if rightly say, you better do this. This is what you ought to do. This is not a passage to guilt you into prayer, to guilt you into talking to God. These are not the commands that get added to your list and have you saying, I guess I better do that because I'm supposed to. 
These are subjunctives. There's your word for the day. You can tell because they both start with let us. And this way of speaking is as though to say, please come with me. If all this is true, why would we not go this direction? As though to say, please, friends, there's no other way for us to go but this way. Let us do it together. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast from verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. Friends, what else can we do? We have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man, the one who was on the ground with us, the one who passed through the heavens and sits with God, the one who stands between us and God, humans and the Creator, and is able to understand us both, who listens to us and talks to God on our behalf. Let us hold fast our confession, our confession that Jesus is God, that He is man, that He is a high priest. Let us cling to that with all of our might. Let us grip it with all that we have because where else is there to go? Where else will we go? Friends, will we stand on our own confident that we have what it takes? Friends, this is folly. Will we pretend there is no God? That Jesus did not come down and ascend back to heaven? This is not true. Where is your hope? All the other options are bad ones. All other options lead to despair. There is one that is hopeful. There is one that is helpful. And this is an encouragement to not loosen your grip because there is nothing else to hang on to. We have the most secure handhold in all creation. Do not let any other story tempt you to loosen your grip because where will you go? Who can listen? Who can understand? Who can hear and know and relay to God, to the God who can actually do something about your plight, your situation, your station, your weakness, your danger, your difficulty, your stress, your fears, and your uncertainties? Who else can you go to? Let us hold fast, friends. And let us remind each other to hold fast. Let us together pull each other along, praying to the God who knows, praying to the God who listens. When you are uncertain, pray. When you do not know what to do, pray. When you feel your grip loosen, pray. And also, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. As though to say, friends, why would we not do this? We have a sympathetic high priest. He is there, ready to listen. We don't need to be unsure. We don't need to stand in the lobby. We don't need to add our name to a waiting list. 
we can talk to Jesus immediately, whenever we want, wherever we are. We can ask of the creator and the king of the cosmos because we know the one who sits by the throne. We don't have to clean ourselves up. Jesus has done that for us. We don't have to make sure we have the perfect words. Jesus can talk for us. Practically, what does this look like? Pray. Talk to Jesus about everything. Are you stressed? Are you feeling weak? Are you uncertain? Are you tempted? Are you afraid? Are you feeling adrift, weary, lost, tired? Talk to Jesus. You have access to the throne. Friends, let us then with confidence draw near. Friends, why wouldn't we do this? We have access. We are not limited by resources. We can talk to the most understanding, the most effective, the most helpful, the most resourced, the most able person in all creation about whatever thing we experience. Why would we talk to anyone else in his place? And friends, when you are standing together talking about the difficulty of this week or the experience of weakness, what should you do? Pray. Not later, not on your own, not, hey, I'll pray for you. Right then, say, can I pray for you? And then talk to the priest of our confession, Jesus, who understands the brokenness and is in active work to remedy it and who will listen. I am very confident the vast majority of you will have the opportunity to draw near in the next 35 minutes. A need will be expressed. You'll be talking here in the lobby somewhere else. You'll be talking and a need will be expressed, a concern noted, a stress revealed, and in that moment, you can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. Why would you hinder that interaction with that friend a new friend, an acquaintance, someone you just met, when you know the priest, the great high priest, he sits at the throne, confidently talk to him. And what does the writer of Hebrews say we will receive if our response is drawing near? Mercy and grace. Mercy. Is there anything more you want than mercy, than a bit of kindness. When you are in need, when you feel weakness, don't you want a kindness, a concern from someone who cares, a concern from someone who can do something, who can relieve? Friends, the throne is a throne of mercy. And God's gaze does not fall on you with no ability. All we are are people searching for mercy. And we run around attempting to gain it from deficient sources. There is an adequate source, a sufficient source, an abundant source. 
let us with confidence draw near to the throne of mercy, the throne of kindness, the throne of goodness. There is no need for hesitation as the inhabitant of the throne is characterized by his mercy. He is known for his goodness. This is the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Do you want to know his name? There is a passage in Exodus where God tells Moses his name. It is the most quoted scripture by scripture in the entire Bible. If you were to know this scripture, then you will begin to see it everywhere you read your Bible. And if you're reading your Bible in a year, it'd probably pop up sometime in February. And the most quoted scripture, a passage that happens to be probably in the background of even this Hebrews passage, the Lord tells Moses his name. And it says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Do you want to know who God is? This is who he is, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Who is like the Lord? Why would we go anywhere else searching for mercy? He is defined by it. Why would we dig for kindness in any other mind? He is abounding in it. Why would we plumb any other ocean? He is full of kindness, full of mercy. That's what we receive, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The throne is there. Our priest is there. And this throne of mercy is a throne of grace. God's disposition toward us is beneficent. It is good. It's for your benefit. His posture towards us is full of goodness. In this world, our need for help is made obvious. We got that part. I got the need part. In our brokenness, we want remedy and the stronger arm of someone else to pick us up in our weakness. This is grace. This is goodness. This is what we want. And this is a defining characteristic of the throne to which you can confidently run. And this grace is not random, not happenstance. It is well-timed at the right time, when the need must be met, when the weakness seems overwhelming, when the situation is about to crest over our heads, we have access to the throne of grace because our priest is there, because Jesus is there who will give us what we need when we need it. Where else will you go Who else will you talk to? Friends, what other reasons do you need to talk to Jesus? What other excuses could you have? God is too big, too majestic, too much for me. We have a priest. His name is Jesus. But I don't know the words. I don't have the best life. I can't talk well. I definitely don't live life well. I am dirty, I am broken, I am guilty. We have a priest. 
He talks for you. He can give you a new life, and He meets you in your weakness. Show up in your weakness. That is the only qualification you need. And this priest sympathizes. But he can't know life. He knows it completely. He knows weakness. He knows pain. He knows temptation. He knows your need to the nth degree. And he sympathizes, feels together with. And he is the access point for mercy and grace. Any other avenue will be deficient in comparison. Friends, let us hold fast our confession. Hold fast our proclamation of this Jesus and let us confidently go to the throne. Let us pray. Great high priest, Jesus, thank you for listening to us even now. Amazing. You are ready and willing. Priest, we are a room full of weak people, full of hesitations about our own lives that keep us from talking to you. We need your help. We need mercy. We need grace. My friends need mercy and grace. They need kindness to meet their needs from this week, the ones that have brought, been brought in this new year and the ones that seem to have stuck around for a long time. There is hurt and pain in their bodies. There is difficulty and stress in their jobs and their responsibilities. There is brokenness in their relationships. And sin seems to stick around though we try to run away. Priest, they need help. They need mercy. They need grace and you are at the throne. Give them each a well-timed grace and give them a firm grip, an encouraging grip on their confession. And give each and every one of them a confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. Imbue our hearts with courage and delight, even as we sing. Amen.